Real quick, everyone, before we get into the interview, I wanted to let you know that Tile Money in combination with Tile Nation will be having its own booth this year at the International Surfaces event. That's in Las Vegas, Nevada, February 1, 2, and 3, February 1st through the 3rd. We will also have a networking event, a cocktail happy hour at the House of Blues uh, on the 1st, the evening of the first day of the show that you do not want to miss. We throw great parties. Come to Tice this February. If you're planning on attending, be sure to swing by our booth. You can watch live podcasts. You can hang out in our lounge area. You can uh, join the conversation and be part of a live podcast by giving a comment. Um, Check us out. We're going to have a happy hour on the second night right there inside the booth around 3 o'clock. You can go over to thetilenation.com to reserve your spot, thetilednation.com. Hello, Tile friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Tile Money Podcast. My name is Luke Miller, your host, and my mission with this podcast is to strengthen the tile industry. We are doing this with our weekly business discussions and education designed for contractors by contractors. This platform is assisting tile contractors around the world to build sustainable, profitable businesses. The result is a stronger installer, a stronger industry from the installer up. Today, we've got another great discussion lined up for you. I caught up with Kathy Case. Kathy is a, is a wealth of knowledge. She's someone who's been in the industry since 1979. She's very knowledgeable in all aspects, and she shares her knowledge freely. I'm confident that you will enjoy today's interview. Before we get to it, I do want to thank the sponsors of the show. The NTCA, the National Tile Contractors Association. This can be your most valuable resource as a tile contractor. The oldest and largest association for tile contractors. The NTCA can answer any question you have, whether you're looking for a solution to a complicated problem in the field, or maybe an introduction to a specific expert in a specific field of tile. Whatever the case might be, tune into the NTCA, join the NTCA. The members that I've met are some of the most profitable and professional tile contractors I know. Ladecree International. Ladecree is one of the leading innovators in the tile installation materials world. They are who invented ThinSet. Ladecree invented ThinSet, won the World Trade Center contract for providing that lightweight solution to put tile in the in the World Trade Centers, and, and they were we were able to build the world's tallest buildings at the time. A family-run, privately held company with family values that you can feel, whether you're talking to their reps in the field, all the way up to the family members still working in the business. Ladecree provides everything you need to install tile, from the waterproofing to the grout to the silicone, and it's a one-stop shop. GoBoard. GoBoard is an innovative tile backer board manufactured by Johns Manville. Discover the possibilities with this easy-to-cut and handle waterproof product. It's lightweight yet durable. Carry more boards in one trip. Seal the joints and fastener penetrations using GoBoard Pro Sealant to achieve ANSI A118.1 compliant installations. GoBoard Pro Sealant is now available in 20-ounce sausage packs. Ask your distributor to bring them in. And HappyTileGuy.com. Full disclosure, I am a part owner in HappyTileGuy.com where you can get a tile contractor business designed with a SEO, search engine optimization professional, my partner and myself, and that is your online hub. All right, let's get to the interview. So Kathy, uh, again, you know, thanks for taking the time to record this podcast with me. Uh, Your brother Bill introduced us uh, and, and kind of put us together. That's right. That's correct. Yes, it is. And and your brother works all as well. What's that? My brother works in the tile industry as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, he's somebody who I've been, uh, you know, kind of, I recognize his name from, you know, a long time ago in the John Bridge forums. Yes. And so I've always, you know, I've always looked up to him and, and, and the advice he's been giving. And so I was, I was trying to get him on, on the podcast and he, he lovingly volunteered his sister. <laughs> Yeah, he's um, he's a master craftsman when it comes to installation. Yeah, and he said he preferred to stay in the field than be on a camera. Mm, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
for, for craftsmen. That, that makes a lot of sense. You know, that's, I get that a lot, but, but I'm glad you're here because we've been getting to know each other. I've been talking to you, uh, for, for some weeks now, since we've kind of, uh, been, been put in touch and you're somebody with an extensive history in the industry. So why don't you tell the, the, um, contractors listening to this podcast, your beginning history and kind of the, the 10,000 foot overview of, uh, how you got started in the industry back in, uh, 79. Is that correct? 1979. That is correct. I started right out of high school working for my dad, doing his books. I was preparing to go to college for international finance and, um, I was working full time for the summers and the books, even with union reports and having to do it longhand long before computers, It only took me about two weeks out of the month, so I actually picked up a four-page pamphlet from Dodge McGraw-Hill that taught you how to read drawings, Mm. and I pulled out his old takeoffs and tried to duplicate them. This was back in the time when mosaics were pretty prevalent in a lot of bathrooms. We The biggest tile was 8x8s. 12x12s didn't come around for a couple years um, after that, so understanding how to trim out with all of the mosaic trim pieces. Um, Mm -hmm. We dealt with swimming pools, with gutters, with showers and curbs and um, everything that you could imagine getting ceramic tile and stone. We also did terrazzo. So I really learned how to understand the drawings. My dad was amazing at, at teaching me how to visually when I looked at the drawings, walk into the rooms and not just look at the floor plans. Mm -hmm. Uh, From there, uh, I did finish my degree in international finance, but my dad really wanted to semi-retire at 55. And so I chose to give up my college training and work in the business with him. Unfortunately, he passed two years later before he got to his, uh, you know, time that he wanted to retire. And I went May of running my first project to September running the company. We were a union contractor up in Connecticut. Um, So that, that's how I got started in the industry. It was kind of induction by fire. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's wild. Um, Just a few months there before, you were uh, kind of everything was dumped in your lap. Uh, it sounds like, uh, you know, kind of a tragic moment there. Um, how did you, what were your thoughts? I mean, did you want to run? I mean, how many, how large was the company at that point? That, that must've been daunting, I would think. So he passed in 1985 when construction was crazy. Um, we had approximately 50 union installers at that time. So, um, there was never a thought of running. Um, I was raised to stand up to a challenge and I felt that that's, uh, what was, what I was facing. Yeah. Yeah. No, you were, you definitely had a challenge there for sure. 50 union installers in 1985, you know, (laughs) that was back before people were, talking politically correct and nice on the job sites. <laughs> that would be correct. I actually had in 1986, most of the time I expected it and I didn't mind it from the tradesmen, but in uh, March of 1986, I actually had an architect say to my face, I deal with a woman at home. I won't deal with one on the job site. And um, wow. in, <laughs> I, I had to, in that split second, make a decision. How do I respond to this? Just maybe five, six years earlier, I used to beat up my brother's friends, so it wouldn't phase me to do that to him, but obviously professionally that wasn't going to cut it. And I decided um, to keep my mouth shut and not even acknowledge his existence. I just set my eyes on the owner of the building and didn't say a word. Anytime he tried to engage me in conversation, I wouldn't respond And after about five minutes, the architect said, I think it might be best if I leave. And the owner agreed. And he still walked out of the building looking for me to turn toward him, which I didn't. And he came back in again and said, listen, I have a daughter your age. And if um, somebody did this to her, I'd want to kill them. At that point, I simply looked at him and looked back at the owner. The owner did make him deal with me on the job. But in my world, the thing that I realized was that silence is golden. It's best to keep your mouth shut than to give them 
ammunition, taking your words and twisting them to their benefit. That's a, what a great lesson that, you know, frankly, uh, I, I'm going to hope to apply and, and utilize in my life, you know, even on the internet, you know, uh, sometimes it's best to stay quiet and, and, and let them keep talking. And, uh, it sounds like he had a minute to think about it and he probably felt like a fool. It sounds like. I would say so. So, and how old were you? You were in your twenties, right? In 25, 20, I was 24, 24. When that happened. Wow. Wow. So you were raised with grit and not, not to back down. That's, that's incredible. Um, this is a daunting task for anybody, much less a 24 year old in in 1985. So, um, kudos to you because you stuck with it. (laughs) And from there, what, where did you go? Um, Union work kind of dried up. It went to prevailing wage in the late 80s, early 90s, and I couldn't continue to pay the union scale. So I did end up um, through a very difficult decision closing the business after 63 years um, or sorry, 67 years. And I started working for flooring contractors Um, that that company was strictly ceramic stone and terrazzo i ended up working for companies that did all types of flooring um but i focused on estimating i didn't focus on sales and it wasn't until 2001 that i got back into sales again and getting involved with running projects during that time i was working in connecticut and i was a member of the construction specifications institute i had the opportunity to meet with spec writers and kind of, you know, just find out why it is that they're constantly bringing specs from one job to the next and not really changing them and being specific for the projects. And they let me know that they were put under stress by owners to turn projects around quickly. Mm-hmm. And against what they would prefer to have happened, they were told, if you don't do it, we'll find someone else who does, who will. And so I recognize the need and the importance to really have the strength at, at the onslaught of looking at a project. Um, estimators are the first people that really take a deep dive into contract documents. And so I switched my focus in 2009 to running teams of estimators. Mm-hmm. Um, it gave me an opportunity to protect an entire company for the work that they were doing, but it also gave me the opportunity to work with the general contractors to help the industry as, at least as far as the state of Connecticut was concerned by making sure that we saw and recognized either discrepancies or holes in the spec or not following proper standards and that's, that's where my focus has been basically since 2009. Three years ago, I started um, Takeoff, which is a contract estimating service. The intention was that during the time that I had run teams of estimators, there were times when we'd be short on resources, whether it was because um, somebody quit, somebody got fired, sick, vacation, um, And so I started the company with the intention of being that emergency resource when somebody's overwhelmed. Mm. And in a matter of three months' time, we started getting asked for actual contracts for full-time estimators. Mm. Wow. Wow. Why do you, why do you think that need was there? I mean, that's, sounds like, I mean, you, you hit, you know, you, you had, you brought something to the market that was wanted and needed. It sounds like urgently. So one of the problems with um, the position of estimating is that most companies see that as a starting point and they don't really recognize the importance of that position and developing the career opportunities in that position. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of turnover, whether it's people getting stressed out, not seeing the opportunity for a career or getting promoted into another position. And that constant turnover creates costs involved with it. And that's 
a big part of why I, I'm seeing it. And now people are recognizing it's a whole lot easier to just send a request to a company like ours and know that it's going to get taken care of, that we're going to have the, the necessary estimators to get it done. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so who you have, you know, is it takeoffco.com? Is that what it is? Takeoffco.com? Correct. That's our website. And, and, and what is, you know, who, who are your clients that are, are approaching you and hiring you? What, I mean, a, a, like, what does their business look like? I mean, they're commercial clients, correct? They're commercial contractors. They are commercial contractors. And we have everybody from, you know, the single man show that has decided to open up his own shop to well-established companies that are doing two to $300 million in flooring per year. Yeah. And everybody in between. So this this would be a great when I when I found out about this uh, not too long ago, Kathy. This would be a perfect solution for um, the smaller residential contractor who who wants to get into uh, commercial contracting, but doesn't know the ins and outs like you do, obviously, of of estimating these jobs, looking at them. Um, and it's also a solution. I'm not trying to say that's the only solution. I'm just, you know, wanting my audience to know because there's a lot of small contractors and I talk to them. How do I get into commercial? Would this sounds like a solution for them? Correct. Certainly. We, we've got five clients that started that didn't, first of all, didn't want to commit the resources to have a full-time estimator. Mm -hmm. So a nice way to control your costs. Um, Plus they weren't really, set up in a way to be able to oversee those estimators. They really don't understand the software or they don't necessarily understand the documents. When you hire an estimator, you still have to oversee them um, and you have to be able to know how to read um, through specs and so forth. So by hiring someone like us, we're, we're able to help them through that process yeah. and they don't have to worry about the training. At, so yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So, um, and, and of course, you know, larger contractors are obviously, you know, hiring you as well. Uh, it, it makes a lot of sense to embrace, you know, some of this modern technology and, and include it in your business to lower, like you're saying, a lot of people are coming to you to lower their overhead and, you know, uh, sp- speed up the process of being able to bid on jobs that, perhaps would take them years and years of experience to understand. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, you know, we, we also have the resources to be able to turn projects around rather quickly on an emergency basis. It's not something that we like to do as a regular rule, but we certainly have that ability. We've had projects that were three, 400,000 square feet that we've turned around in a matter of days, which would mm-hmm. normally take, a week or longer when it's something like a hospital. Mm-hmm. So having the resources for multiple estimators able to split off the projects and work together on them makes it possible for us to help them out of a sticky situation sometimes. I see. I see. So there's, there's a whole team behind this um, that can, there's- that can gather quickly and move fast when, when needed. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, has it has technology always been something that you've adapted and and pursued? Because you know a lot of a lot of this, you know, um, what what do we call what do we call this really? Um, you know, third third party estimating or or digital estimating, correct? Or yeah, they refer to it typically as third party or contract estimating. Uh huh. You know, a lot of people might be resistant to something like this. Um, but it, it, it seems like you've embraced it. And instead of kind of saying like, I'm going to keep doing things the way it's been working, you've embraced, you know, advancing and, and, and moving forward with, with not just accepting, you know, learning the new, the new ways, but also coming up with solutions. Well, for us, one of the things that we try to do is mirror the way that each client does their estimating people think that everybody does it the same way and that's not the case. So we try to understand what their 
um, standards are that they apply to every approach on the projects and customize it to their um, set of standards rather than just saying, here's our takeoff and you have to manipulate it from there. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. You know, no reason to try to put a square peg in a round hole, right? Um, so, so you you have a solution, but it's fully customizable. I love it. That's great. Do you have tools, uh, say a, a, a contractor was like, you know, it sounds good, but I, I just don't even know where to begin. Are you assisting? Do you have tools or resources to point to like, let's say a residential contractor wants to get into commercial world. Would you actually give them tools or resources to help them point them in the right direction, so to speak, to where they even can get their foot in the door on having a chance to estimate or or bid on a, on a large commercial project. We certainly have recommendations on software that's available. Um, We work with four different software companies for estimating and we can talk to them about the differences between them. We certainly have our preferences, but Um, we want to make sure that they're making the right decision for themselves. And many of the software, um, the estimating software companies will integrate with other software so that you can combine it with something like a QuickBooks to be able to do your accounting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Good, good. Well, it sounds like a great, uh, a great solution for a lot of people. Once again, what's that website again? Takeoffco.com. Correct. Takeoffco.com. All right. Great. Um, hopefully you'll get a, a few people reaching out there that are that are interested in these tools. I always love highlighting these new tools. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, I, I'm trying to embrace new technology myself. And it's not always uh, it, it, things are happening quick, you know, in the contracting and business world. And if we don't embrace it, you know, we're going to, uh, you know, kind of be left behind a, a little bit. Um, Speaking I would of, say yeah, go, go ahead. contract estimating side, I, I would just say to the people listening that you want to make sure when you're talking to a company that does it, because it is a growing industry right now, that they really, especially since most of your crowd is ceramic tile, they're, not everybody can do ceramic tile. Mm-hmm. It's a very specialized field, as we all know with all the parts and pieces and the systems. And um, so it's really important that you're asking the right questions of the companies that you're considering engaging with in order to make sure that you're getting the right people to do the work. Because of my strengths, my teams are all strong on ceramic tile. We actually have clients that do just ceramic tile. Mm -hmm. We work on countertops. We work on facades as well as interior. Okay. Excellent. Sounds like a diverse team. And with, with you at the helm, though, like you said, you, your strength and your experience has been uh, ceramic tile contracting. So that's, that's really uh, sounds like a great asset for contractors out there. Whenever I was running a team of estimators, I always let the people below me know that if you learn ceramic tile, if you learn how to estimate ceramic tile, you'll have a job for life. And it's true because the other finishes are much easier to do when you can handle ceramic tile. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's what I always say too. Um, What, what, you know, speaking of the, um, you know, embracing kind of newer thinking and, and skills. um, One, one thing I, I, I find a lot of in the contractor community is a resistance to uh, sharing knowledge and sharing tips and tricks and, you know, you, you seem to be the opposite. I've, I've read, you know, articles you've written. I've read, you know, blog posts and, and seen you, you, you do video, you know, you do interviews like this one and, and you want to share your knowledge and your experience. Um, what, what can, why do you embrace the sharing community? That's, you know, that's kind of what this podcast is. It's, 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 we put it all out there. You know, the best content is free of tile money and it's out there for everybody. You know, we're not, there's no secrets in other words. And, and we believe that that's going to advance the, the, uh, the trade, um, you know, faster than, than hiding the knowledge. Is that, is that something that you've embraced for a long time or was that, you know, something new, newer to you also? No, that's a lifelong type thing. I was fortunate when my dad did pass away, I had many people step up for me and mentor me and teach me 
a lot about the industry. And as I learned, I turned around and taught other people. Mm-hmm. I feel that it's important to share that knowledge. I would prefer to train all of my competition than to deal with people that don't know what they're doing because it only hurts the industry. Yeah, yeah. That's that's an incredible statement to you would prefer to train your competition. Um, that would scare a lot of people that that mindset, I think. You know, um, but the reality is you're exactly right. I mean, if if we have all these competitors out there, uh, you know, in, in my in the in in tile money, you know, I, I focus on the business. So if we have all these competitors out there underbidding and not knowing their numbers and not knowing how to establish a real business, this is, in my opinion, the number one thing that has hurt the the business end for and and really everything because we see a lot of contractors just living check to check uh, because their numbers have to be low if they want to be competitive and most contractors you know uh, builders and architects they you know they're going to shop around and if if you arrive at your numbers and, and they're two times the going rate of you know three or four of your competitors who are putting out similar work you know. Um, it's, it makes it tough. It makes it tough to do things legitimately. It makes it tough to, to run a proper business. The same can be said of, of training, you know, in the trade. If, uh, if, if all the competitors don't, you know, don't get training and, and don't get the education. And we, we see this on YouTube. We see this, uh, on social media, people who might have a, a, a very large following, especially in the DIY world, you know, they might have a very large following, and they know how to speak, they know how to make videos, but they're putting out wrong information and leading people astray. And this is a problem. But um, at the end of the day, you know, if you know, th- that was a long way to saying if you have some knowledge, share it. And if it's accurate, you know, and you can contribute to the community, you're going to build up the community and strengthen the community as a whole. I have a client currently, um, when I first started the business almost three years ago, I was offering training to my clients' estimators, keeping in mind that some of my clients are big and have in-house estimating and use us as fill-in or gap measures. And the guy shook his head. He said, wait a minute. So you're going to take somebody that I hire and train them and hand them back to me? And he, he just couldn't understand it. And I said, I'm here to be a resource for the industry. And if tra- if you want somebody in-house, I'd rather help you make sure you have the best estimator in-house. Mm-hmm. And then when you need me, you're still going to remember to call me for whatever is left over. That's great. He had a hard time believing it, but he's seen it because I've done it for him. And he's been amazed because he never had – outside training available and we sped up the process of an estimator being able to start in, in just a matter of weeks, be able to do an estimate. Whereas in the past it would be months or more. Wow. Wow. That's, that's incredible. That's very generous of you, Kathy. Well, again, it's a matter, you know, our goal is to be a resource to the industry mm-hmm. and, that's just one of the ways that we can do it. It's not that we did the training for free, but just the same. Um, if that's their business model, we want to support their business model. And so they, they were already established and, and had a large company and you're coming into the scene brand new, although you have years and years of experience, but takeoff was a, a new company. And you said, forget all that competitive attitude. Let me go in and strengthen their business and, this is good for the industry. Did you see a return on your investment there, Kathy? Did you see, have you seen that? Absolutely. They've used um, our service quite a bit more. Um, so yes. And, and quite honestly, part of, part of um, supporting their estimators is that they know who I am. And if they get overwhelmed, it doesn't take much for them to turn to management and say, listen, we can't get to it. Have Kathy do it. Mm. So it, it does have that benefit for us as well. Nice. So, so you're picking up clients from your competitors at this point because of the goodwill that you, you gave. And I'm sure, you know, if, if they never did that, you would still continue to provide, you know, services for, for others and, and have that same attitude. I mean, like you said, that's ingrained in you. It's, it's part of who you are. It sounds like. 
It is. I have a passion for what I do. Um, I love my clients. I love the work that we do. And we love the opportunity to be able to help them um, find a, a way past those stress points when they're shorthanded or um, just being able to get the estimates done. Nice. I, I, I really think, you know, everybody listening or watching to this podcast, we need to imitate this attitude. We need to adapt Kathy's attitude to sharing knowledge for the betterment of the industry. And what that looks like is going to be different depending on who you are. It might be a real local thing where you're, where you're actually showing up to competitors' job sites if they ask you or you're, you're establishing a relationship with them so that your competitors are comfortable enough to call you with a question that you might have the answer to, or you might be able to introduce them to somebody, or you might be able to team up on a project. But the it all starts with opening up that communication and offering to give them something that they might need, you know, offering, you know, it, it can start with a cup of coffee or a beer or whatever, but you've got to open up that door of communication and, you know, offer, offer a service, offer to share your knowledge. And I've worked and lived um, and installed tile in, you know, half a dozen different states from New York City to, uh, you know, the, the Bay Area of San Francisco and in between in middle America. And I've had, I, I've, I've witnessed uh, communities of, of contractors that are really strong. And I've also worked and lived and witnessed communities of the contractor community being very weak um, when it comes to business. And, you know, somebody always sets the precedent. Uh, In other words, there might be a, a really strong giving contractor who is involved in the in the NTCA, involved in the industry and in, involved in spearheading local um, education and kind of setting the standards because that, that company is going to, you know, eventually they'll have employees that will leave and start businesses and they're going to emulate what they learned. And the opposite is true also. So if you find yourself living and working in an area that does not have a strong tile contractor community, and you think this is something that you can you can take on, I want to encourage everybody who's listening to this to take it on. And it might start with local meetups, you know, just getting the contractors together. It might start with sharing information, sharing your, you know, tools, you know, knowledge of tools, knowledge of inter- introduce them to Kathy, you know, introduce them to people in the industry. And what's going to happen is over time, your... Um, any, any sort of expense or investment in the community is going to come back tenfold, a hundredfold. If, if you're in this for the long haul and, and you really want to set up a, a sustainable generational style business or something that you can sell or something that you can sit back and, and just be so proud of, I mean, this is, all, this is the way to do it is to share your knowledge, uh, take a lead in that in your local communities. And it, it, this is how we take back our, our industry and strengthen our industry. Um, you know, we have to do it in our individual communities and we can do it online, of course, and, and over, you know, and I, I'm, I don't know, let, let me ask you this, Kathy, because I'm, I'm pretty optimistic these days about the tile industry. When I first got started with tile money and when I was a tile contractor, I got real depressed and discouraged. And I'm not saying I never get discouraged again, but the more I see uh, contractors and the more I, I get to know and the more success stories I hear because of contractors listening to tile money or getting involved in the NTCA or getting training, and, and the more I see people doing this, exactly what I just said, they're picking up the, 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 um, the slack, they're, they're, they're picking up the task and running with it, the, the more encouraged I am. How about you and your years, you know, from 1979 to 2021, what is the trend that you see with contractors? Um, You know, do you see, are you optimistic about the tile industry in the future or, or have you seen negative trends or, you know, it's something that you're concerned of or. 
I'm optimistic, um, and the optimism really stems from the NTCA. They're an amazing organization doing a great job creating that brotherhood or or family kind of um, support within the industry. And when I keep seeing more and more specifications that require the five-star certification, I get really excited for the industry. I think the one area that's alarming is resources, having installers to do the work. And I, you know, in the past, it used to be that, you know, even for my company, we had three generations working for us at one time. And so you pretty much knew if somebody had a a son, they were going to come into the tile business. That doesn't happen anymore. Hmm. So it really becomes the, the need of our industry to go out and promote and recruit people in any possible way. Um, I know for, for me, I'm actually a member of the national association of women in construction as well. And we get involved with the local school school systems, whether it's for job fairs or going and promoting um, working in the trades to elementary school, middle school and high school. We do it through competitions um, that are specific to each grade level. Um, and we also get involved in scholarships that are available, not just for college education, but if somebody's going to go work in the trade and they need it for apprenticeship or they need it for tools, they can apply for those monies. Hmm. This is great. This is awesome. So how, how long have you been working with, uh, did you say the national association of women in construction? Correct. It's affectionately known as NAWIC. NAWIC. Uh, when I moved to Virginia in 2014, my boss suggested that I join them. Um, I will say that uh, I love my NAWIC sisters. When it was first suggested, all I could think of is I came into construction to be away from women. And <laughs> I, um, I was welcomed at a, a, a meeting as a guest, and I was amazed at the support and the strength of our chapter and how involved they get not only with trying to um, introduce trades to younger people, but also the training that's available within the association for the members themselves and the things that we do in the community. We get involved with Habitat for Humanity, where we'll actually go out and work on the projects. We get involved with, um, in our local area, we get involved with uh, Doorways, which is a housing project for people who are coming in for medical treatments when they're coming in from out of state and sometimes out of country. We work with um, battered women's shelters and uh, Comfort Zone, which is a camp for kids that have lost someone. Mm. Um, We get involved in a lot of things well beyond construction besides so it's a great organization and i'm proud to be a member of it wow wow yeah it sounds like a great organization how um specifically when it comes to the schools i I was curious before i forget um what grades is that so we go into the elementary schools to do a lego competition where they'll get some legos and they have to build something construction related and they can actually win prizes Then in middle school, we do a design build where they have to design a home based on certain parameters. And each year we try to change those parameters. They have to design the home. They have to build the uh, scaled model of the home. And all in between, they have to keep track just like a regular job site. What was the weather? Who was on the job? What got done that day? Um, And again, there's uh, awards that was started in Richmond where I am and it was just adopted by the national office. And now it's a national competition as well. The other two have been a national competition for high school. We do a CAD competition mm-hmm. and again, they're given certain parameters for the design. Excellent. This sounds incredible. And we're, what we're going to do, if you're listening or watching this, we'll put the link for NAWIC in the show notes, uh, if in, in case anybody wants to get involved, this sounds like something that everybody should be kind of on the radar, right? Because either to get involved or, you know, find, you know, um, is there is there male participants or is this strictly a women's organization? 
I'm sorry, but it is a woman's organization. There's, well, that, that Kathy, um, I don't know if we can do that going forward. No, <laughs> <laughs> there are men that support NAWIC. Yes, that's what but I there mean. Are not in the organization itself, yes, there's sure. definitely even just for our chapter alone, we do a golf tournament. Every year we have 250 golfers that come from as far north as Delaware and as far south as the Carolinas mm-hmm. because of how popular it is. That's that's one of the ways that we actually um, create the, the monies available for all the training. And I'm sure there's a there's a there's one for for men or boys as well. I would I would imagine out there. Um, similar. The golf tournament is for everyone. No, no. I, I mean, would, I mean something similar to NAWIC. Um, you know what I mean. That's, the br- <laughs> but uh, that's the whole what's that? That's most of the industry. Oh, oh I understand. I understand. I, I, I guess my interest in and my thinking is is specifically for um, introducing children to the trades because this is something that over the years has uh, fallen off the. It seems like the school's agenda certainly. So now we have independent or nonprofits like NAWIC coming in and kind of, uh, you know, picking up the slack. And I, I understand, I understand that, um, you know, men, men when, are, go ahead. When it comes to going into the schools to, um, attract the children into, um, construction, that's not limited to women. We work with men, um, to support that. So it, when it comes to those types of programs, we certainly welcome the participation because we're all about trying to get any children. It's not specific to just girls mm-hmm. and um, boys will respond better to male figures than they will to women mm-hmm. when you're in that situation. So I know for us, we would welcome them getting involved and we do work with the director of career and technical education, which is a gentleman and several of his team members to support those efforts in this area. Do you have case studies um, since you're starting so young? Uh, do you have case studies of certain children who really took on to like the Lego competition, for instance, and this idea, and then over the years they worked their way up and now they're, you know, now they have a, a, a great career, you know, do you, do you know of any case studies of, of that type of thing? I would imagine there's, there's lots of these instances. I would imagine, but I'm not aware of the case studies. Sure, sure, no problem. But I, I love how you're you're going in and you have a program to nurture these children, and kind of if if it's something they they take to right, it's an option, it's a viable option for them that they're now aware of. Um, it's it's something that's needed. So I, I I just love I just love the idea. Anytime I hear about anything like this, I try to uh, dig into it and understand it a little bit better uh, because I you know. I personally, you know, again, you know, I find it um, not not good that we've taken, you know, shop class out of a lot of schools and things of this nature, um, which, you know, children don't even, a lot of kids don't even know that there are really good careers in construction. They don't get the exposure to it because most people are hiring someone to come and do the work, not working side by side. I was fortunate enough when I bought my first house, my dad did the tile work alongside with me It was mm-hmm. before I started installing because I did actually carry a union card for installing as well. Mm-hmm. Nice. Excellent. So most kids do not have that um, benefit right. of being to it and so you know giving them that opportunity to get a taste for it can sometimes spark that interest yeah yeah no i love it and that's all that's all it is you know is that opportunity and that initial spark and and from there you know they might find a, a lifelong career a pursuit that they just they just fall in love with and is a perfect fit and that's that's what we want to highlight for sure highlight those stories and and highlight those opportunities So what's, um, what's next, Kathy? I mean, you know, where do you see Takeoff Co. going and, and, and where do you see um, the industry going, I guess, is kind of a, a wide open question for you there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. 
for takeoff, um, our intention is to um, expand into other trades. And the long, long-term long goal is to be able to do estimating for an entire project. Mm-hmm. But the near future is to handle all of Division 9. Currently, we do the ceramic, resilient, epoxy, uh, all the flooring finishes. There's not a flooring finish that we don't cover. Um, but, you know, just to finish Division 9, we need to add sheetrock. We need to add ceilings. Um and um and painting. Sorry, mm-hmm. those are the three ones that we're we're looking at for 2022. Okay. Wow, it sounds like you're you're advancing quickly. I mean, you you have a goal, and it's it seems like you just go go for it, and you you pull it all together. I mean, this is incredible. Um, I I I appreciate your um, tenacity and aggressive at, approach to this. Really. Well, I'm fortunate that I have an amazing team behind me, and and I really don't even want to say behind me because they're really alongside me. We are truly a team. We don't treat each other as one being more important than the other. Everybody on the team is important. Well, let's talk about teams for a minute, and I know we're approaching on an hour here, Kathy, and I want to be respectful of your time. But when it comes to you know building that team, what are what are the the traits or, or the secrets that you can share with contractors and maybe you've noticed, you know, certain contractors doing certain things that you just shake your head or, or say, I wish, you know, especially when it comes to building teams, because that is, that is, you know, a, a very large complaint in the industry right now. And, and actually in the world right now is, is not being able to, first of all, find, find the help, even just find it and locate it. But how, how does one build and attract a team in, in 2021 and 2022 when things are so scarce, the workforce is so scarce, and how do you be, a, be that leader that um, can, can really bring everybody together and, and accomplish, accomplish the task at hand? Well, I want to respect the fact that there's different forms of leadership. So I'll speak to the way that I work compared to some others because I do believe in team in a team approach. And so um, I think it's important first and foremost that when you're looking for someone that you're finding somebody with a good attitude, bad attitudes can destroy a company as well as a team. They could be a superstar, but it's not going to do any good if they destroy everybody else in the company. Mm-hmm. So having, having the right attitude and the drive um, to want to succeed is more important than than having a superstar. It's it's similar in sports. Then I mean, we're all in this together, right? You don't want somebody who just wants to be the, be the you know be the one who makes all the shots, right? <laughs> Correct. And the thing is, you have to accept the fact that mistakes will happen, and that they're they're going to grow and learn from those mistakes. Um, if 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 you're so hard on them that the slightest mistake, they're acting like that Pavlov's dog that's cowering because they're waiting to get beat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not going to work. You know, I I had a situation just recently where one of my key people had made a mistake. It wasn't a major mistake, and it wasn't, in my opinion, his fault but his previous employer would have chewed him out for days. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when you treat people the way that you want to be treated, it goes a long way. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, With the drive, you know, how do you instill that drive in someone uh, regarding the, the, the drive for the company? You know, if you have a great, a great team, you know, a great player, um, but again, they're not a team player, how, how do you how do you identify first of all if they are going to be a team player, and, and then how do you instill that drive to, you know, give them goals or, or or recognize that we're moving this company forward together, and and um you know that's that's where the reward you know what is the reward in other words how do you how do you kind of establish first of all that you have the right team players? Well, one would hope that that's happening before they're actually working for you correct in the process of hiring itself but if you've uh, if you've been stuck with uh, 
let me rephrase that. If you've um, adopted a team that already exists, then, you know, you need to be looking at where their focus is. If their focus is just about themselves, if you can't change that focus, then perhaps you need to change their responsibilities. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. That's a good. As far as driving and, and uh, motivating people, I believe it starts at the top. And if, if the top management is doing the right thing and working hard and supporting their people, then people are going to respond in, in kind. They need to know first and foremost that it's not all getting dumped on them and that somebody's not just sitting there pulling strings to make everybody else work. They need to know that there's opportunity for advancement. You know, nobody wants to sit doing the same job for 30 years. So they need to know where those opportunities exist down the road or they will be looking somewhere else. They need to be getting the training to move to that next position. These are critical to being able to maintain and keep your employees. Excellent. No, thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, I appreciate that. This, it's, it's, you know, to, to you, it, 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 um, I can tell it's, it's elementary, right? Um, but I, you know, and, and really it goes back to, you know, the purpose of the podcast is just to instill and, and little reminders, you know, and uh, I, I know there's somebody who's going to hear that and it's going to help them with their business. So we appreciate it, Kathy. And I appreciate your time today, uh, taking the time out to do this interview. It's been a great conversation. It's been good to get to know you a little bit better. And uh, we look forward to more conversations in the future with you for sure. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Have a good day, Kathy. All right, Tile friends. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed getting to know Kathy. Uh, she's obviously a wealth of knowledge and she's eager to help out. So don't be afraid to reach out to her and get to know her and, and what she, her new business could do for you. Maybe you can hire her and do some business with her. All right, Tile friends. We'll stay positive out there. I'll see you all soon. We'll talk to you next week. And please stay profitable, Tile friends. Yeah, my voice is out a little bit. (laughs) Hope you're all doing good. 